So Jesus takes to the mount to articulate and help us understand more deeply the law of Moses and his interpretation of it. And Jesus, uh, much like the, the Psalm has asked, teach me your statutes and grow righteousness in me. This, the purpose of Jesus' kind of rehearsal and reteaching, reinterpretation of what had been given in the law of Moses was that rather than teaching people how to be obedient, Jesus aims to help righteousness flourish from inside a person so that it guides everything that is outside. So Jesus kind of takes a different angle on what they had been taught and, and in this second part of, of the teaching, I think you started last week, Jesus makes some really pretty dramatic uh, claims and some dramatic challenges to us. In fact, in Matthew's uh, gospel, we, we kind of think of Jesus as making a radical call to discipleship. So I wanna just rehearse a little bit about the two different major teachings and Jesus' examples, and then get to where I think the heart of, of Jesus' message is. First of all, he starts out with the, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And in that uh, context, in the context in which that was articulated, and in fact in, in the world still today, one can see that in some ways, uh, it's, it's encouragement to be proportional in the way one responds to a harm is uh, something of a civilizing influence. So uh, it could be that when somebody pops me one, I uh, decide I'm really mad and I decide they're a wrongdoer, they've done me wrong, they're evil, and I am going to wipe them out. That would be an option. That would be out of proportion. It would be giving something way back stronger to someone than they've given to you. Um, and uh, I think we probably all can see and think of some examples where people have been wronged and they have given way back more than came their way. And it's kind of difficult when you're angry and blinded by anger to have the judgment of what is a proportional response. So action, reaction, the law's teaching was at least be fair, be proportional in the way you handle a wrong done to you. Now Jesus is gonna go further than that, but before we go there with him, I do wanna just pause and, and think about there's something to be said for proportionality. There's, there are lessons to be learned there. Um, it's not difficult to see ways in which people still uh, respond to a slight. Maybe it's not a physical pop in the face. Maybe it's an insult. Maybe it's mistreatment of another kind. And decide, okay, all bets are off, all holds barred. I'm going after this person and I'm right in doing it because they're wrong. They were wrong. 
So I think in some ways, our, our tone and tenor of many uh, discussions, political discussions, uh, public reactions to um, people who have done wrong can be sometimes a little bit maybe out of proportion, uh, not making distinctions and nuances and, and gradations of, of what the wrong was, but just somebody is wrong and now I'm, uh, I've been mistreated and I am going to come back at them with everything I can. And um, it's uh, maybe it, something worth thinking about, just proportionality. Uh, I can think of many occasions in which I have felt pretty good about a proportional response. Let's say you get popped in the face. What's a way that you can react? You can decide, okay, I deserve that, and some people will internalize and other people will react back out. There are people who react out and there are people who internalize in. My son was a, an internalizer. I feel, um, I, I saw this and this is why I got my little bit of respect for the, the pushback, the proportionality. He was a, a, a gentle giant, he had his growth spurt early in sixth grade, he was a lot taller than the other kids, but he was uh, very uh, quiet and a little bit shy. And um, he was kind of a, a, a target for a, a couple people who were a little bit bullies, not, not physically, but like knocking his backpack and you know just trying to make something of themselves by getting him. And uh, every day I'd pick him up from school in sixth grade and he would just look really defeated and shoulders slumped. And uh, he finally, after a while, told me that there was a, a little guy who was, he didn't even really know who was kind of always making uh, a point of not, not trying to knock his backpack off his back and calling him names. And he didn't, didn't know what to do, but it really made him feel terrible. He was one of those people who kind of internalizes feeling bad and doesn't put it back out there. And, um, we would talk about it, and uh, do you want me to call the teachers? Do you want me to, no, no, I don't want you to do that. And then one day when I picked him up, he, he was holding his head up and squaring his shoulders, and um, I, he just seemed noticeably like he was feeling better. And I said, gee, how you doing? What happened today? And he said, well, I took care of, I took care of the problem. <laughs> I said, oh, wh what does that mean? Well, the uh, little guy came up to knock his backpack off, and my son, who was pretty strong, uh, picked him up and threw him in the grass. And uh, I said, wow, I, you know, you really did, was he hurt? No, he just got up and, well, you know, you really could have hurt him. You, you, uh, that's probably not a good idea. But lo and behold, turns out, they kind of became not friends, but had no more problems after that, and actually at least got to know each other, and they'd made their own kind of peace. So if the choice is only between beating up on yourself and internalizing being a victim, or coming back at someone else, it's okay to come back at someone else, but Jesus says, there's another 
thing to consider, another possibility of any better way. And he goes on and he gives three examples. And the three examples are, uh, one of them is kind of the scenario one would imagine as a personal interaction of people who are uh, having disagreement or uh, at enmity with one another. Another situation that he imagines is something that's kind of like a, an economic um, problem. And the third one is kind of political. So let me, let me go over those. Because Jesus says, do not resist an evildoer. And then the examples. So his first one is, someone uh, smacks you on the cheek and uh, takes your right cheek and smacks you on the cheek and, and it says, what, what you wanna do is back. But instead of that, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Uh, in the second example, Jesus imagines someone who has uh, been in a legal dispute or been sued by someone, maybe for a debt that was not paid, or maybe it's unfair treatment. And it was easy for poor people not to have good representation in court. And, and Jesus says, if in the judgment you are going to have to give them your shirt, don't just give them your shirt, give them your coat also. And probably Jesus was imagining in this scenario someone who was not of great means because this, uh, this counsel that a, a, your coat would be held back from a judgment was a protection that was from the law, that, that you couldn't take a coat from a poor person, leaving them completely exposed as a result of a, a judgment. So Jesus probably is thinking of someone who's in, in pretty dire circumstances in that scenario. And the third example is kind of political. So the Jews were living in an occupied area, occupied by Roman soldiers, and it was part of Roman law that a soldier who was traveling and had very heavy backpacks to carry with them all the time could say to anyone along the way, okay, you have to carry my backpack for me for the next mile and it would be your obligation to do that. And Jesus says, if that happens, well, volunteer to take it on the next mile. Then you've gone four miles out of your way. In all of these situations, Jesus is probably imagining situations where there is really a power imbalance. And the person who has less power already has been wronged. What do they do? What do they do? Now, if they come right back at the other person, they're probably not gonna prevail anyway, right? But Jesus gives that person an opportunity in their lack of ability to respond back, he gives them an opportunity to actually teach and model something that is more important than an equal, forceful response. Imagine if two people are pushing on each other, trying to push each other over, and one suddenly stops putting pressure on. What happens to the other? It catches them off balance. Jesus is suggesting actions 
that in a way give the person with less power an opportunity to catch the other person off balance and use their response as a way to transform the situation. As a way to show a response that is not just a reaction. So, he's much in, in line with uh, what's been accredited to a Mahatma Gandhi. An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Well, what does he mean by that? If uh, you pop me in the eye and I pop you in the eye, that leaves us each without one eye, but not exactly blind. But, but what happens? There's always something that you can be mad at somebody else about. Even though that situation may be resolved, the fundamental paradigm that when somebody pops you, you pop them back, force is met with force, is not changed at all. And when that's not changed, yes, the whole world does get blind and lame. So Jesus is counseling people to take an approach that is transformative and not just reactive. In the second part, Jesus teaches us, says, you've heard that you should love your, love your neighbor uh, and hate your enemy. Very interesting. In the Old Testament, it does say love your neighbor, but he's not quoting when he says and hate your enemy. He's uh, probably quoting the way people talk about it and interpret it, which we do all the time. We hear something that comes from scripture and then we add our own spin to it that reflects our own prejudice and we put it out there as the real thing. So Jesus was responding to this idea, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And he says, I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And then he goes on to say, because God makes rain to shine on the just and the unjust and the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. Why does he say that? How does that explain what his teaching is? What's the easiest thing to talk to a stranger, a complete stranger about? The weather, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, I really am never a person, I'm not always prepared, so I don't listen to weather reports because I'm gonna get my umbrella and all that other stuff out. I listen to weather reports because it gives me something to talk with people about. Every place I go, in an elevator or any place else, you can form a, a connection with anybody talking about the weather. And it's something we have in common, and it's a place where we can make a connection with each other. So when Jesus says God sent his son to rise and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, Jesus is saying God tries to create common places where we can make connections with each other. And that's the clue to why he's giving the disciples these seemingly so difficult suggestions and teachings about the way to handle conflict, disagreement, and the other. Jesus is saying that we have an opportunity 
to create common ground, even in times that are most difficult, when we least imagine it can happen, when there is conflict, when we're being misused, we could create connection. And that's what his suggestions are about. On one level, the teaching that we hear today, do not resist an evildoer, seems to be in contradiction to the second promise that we make in our baptismal vow. Does anybody remember what that second promise that we make is? The first one is, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? The second one is, do you accept the freedom and the power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And what's the right answer? Yes, I do. Is that at odds with what Jesus has taught? I think not. When we are baptized, we are called to claim that God sees us as beloved, worthy of dignity, worthy of respect, worthy of being treated right because we are made in God's image and God offers us redemption. We must answer yes to that question. Nothing can take that away from us. We are worthy to be treated right. We are worthy of being treated justly. We should not be oppressed. It is important that we accept the freedom to believe that and the power to live it. And I suppose in some ways that's why I was rooting for my son when he stood up for himself because he wasn't taking it on as something that he just wasn't worth standing up to. And neither should we. But in our freedom, Jesus gives us the opportunity to think about one more question. Do you want to be an angry reactor or a creative transformer in this world? Do you want to use your interactions with people, even the difficult ones, to serve God's purpose of making connections with people? and creating and building a larger we. That's what Jesus asked us to think about. And with some Jesus suggestions about um, individual situations, but freedom to think for our own creative solutions in our own situations. In whatever situation you're in right now, if you're experiencing injustice or evil or oppression, you have a choice about how you engage that and react. May God's Holy Spirit be at work among Jesus' people, guiding us to be creative, transformative responders 
to the opportunities we have in this world, even the difficult opportunities, to create a connection with people, to fill in the blanks and make a possibility of connection because they too are people created in God's image of sacred worth. May it be so.